you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. there and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks and I'm delighted to be your host and I'm proud to be your guide to support and show you the way towards successful retail transformation. Thank you for tuning in. This one is episode 139, number 139. And today we continue our Simplification Stories mini-series in collaboration with Simon Heddo from Rethink Productivity and the Rethink Productivity podcast. Now this episode marks the halfway point of our mini-series. So in the first episode, that's episode 137, we explored whether Lean Six Sigma was still relevant in our modern day world. And then in the last episode, episode 138, we were joined by Steve Leach of Nicer Retail and we explored the simplification stories going on there. And today, we're going to be continuing to explore simplification and in particular, how complexity gets built in and why simplification is needed. Now, this is important because it's always easy to complain and moan about complex processes or operating models or even businesses. And I'm sure we can all think of examples where we have scratched our head and say, this doesn't make any sense. But if we were to travel back in time to when that process or operating model or business was created, I'm sure there is a very good reason why something was created the way it did. And that's what we're going to be exploring today. Show notes from today are going to be at obandco.uk slash 139. That's obandco.uk slash 139. Oh, and I should also say it was absolutely tipping it down when we were recording this episode. And you can actually hear a little bit of the noise of the rain smashing against the window. So I do apologize about that in advance, but there's still lots of gold nuggets in there for you today. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Simon Heddo. Once again, check it out. Hi, Ollie. Episode three. We're back again. Simon, wonderful to be joining you once again. As always, it's a, a, a true pleasure. Thank you. Good, good. So today we're going to start the conversation around talking about things that might feel simple today, but might cause complexity tomorrow. And we're talking in terms of time spans of tomorrow being six months, 12 months, 18 months away. Mm. And I think a really good example to kick off with is the whole click and collect growth that certainly retailers have experienced. So if we if we cast our minds back maybe 10 years, there was this phenomenon of click and collect where We'd all shop in the future by using our phones or laptops. We'd then be walking past the store, we'd nip in and collect the parcel and go home. And actually, probably wasn't that far away, that premonition, do you think? No, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> you describing it, we're all using our phones to shop and so on. Feels, feels about right, yeah. <laughs> but the thing we didn't know was the growth. 
Absolutely. And I, I think there's there's a couple of elements of growth here, Simon, right? There's the, the natural e-commerce growth that we've seen over years now. It's been quite a steady path, right? Increasing market share, percent of overall retail market share year on year quite steadily. But then, of course, we've also had the insane growth that has been driven over the past 15 months or so from the pandemic, of course. Yeah. And I think for me, it's really interesting, as we've talked about on numerous podcasts, we spend a lot of time in in retail stores. And if I cast my mind back, certainly seven to 10 years ago, the whole click and collect piece was maybe a cupboard behind the checkout. (laughs) Uh, Maybe not even a cupboard, maybe just some boxes, maybe a bit of space in the warehouse. And that's changed massively. And I think Yes, there's the growth, so that we all tend to shop that way. There's a two-way journey now of actually I may take my parcel that I've ordered back for Click and Collect and drop it off somewhere. So my local mm. petrol station, my local Waitrose, wherever it might be that does the reverse logistics of that journey. Mm. So all of a sudden I've got stuff coming in and coming out. Plus, if you think of B&Q, for example, they sell things from screws and nails through to garden sheds. So to cater for that growth and then a massively diversified product range from put it in a bag to actually I need a forklift truck to get it out to your car has always been a huge challenge, but I think has been intensified by the growth. Then we talk about COVID, but also back to the point of this conversation, the way it was set up in the start point, and I'm I'm not talking B&Q now, I'm talking generically, the way it was set up in the start point of a cupboard or some boxes or some retrieval portals behind the checkout. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it sure does. And to be honest, I laughed because I'd forgotten about the click and collect cupboards when they first started before it came, you know, full on yep. stock room and, and so on. So it's funny how things evolve and, and change. And if, if we all cast our minds back to those early days of click and collect, this was this sort of futuristic thing. What's the demand? It's not a huge amount. But it catapults over time. And I think we'll continue to see that as the shifts in the retail marketplace continue. I can imagine fast forward to 10 years and we'll be talking about, oh, do you remember how grocery online orders were picked with trolleys in stores, put in vans by people and all that sort of stuff? It's, you know, it will seem very quaint, right? Yeah, and, it, and we'll then 10 years on be saying, do you remember when they were picked by robots and it used to fly <laughs> to our houses and, and drop it off? It, it, it evolves, doesn't it? And I think it's a really interesting point around there's a risk that you plan too far in advance and, it, and, and that vision of the future never comes off. So I always think the M6 is a great example, isn't it? They built the M6 and they added an extra lane because they thought in 10 years' time there's going to be more traffic. Mm. Actually, if they'd built an extra three lanes at the time it would have been expensive but not probably half or a third as expensive it has been to expand it now because Mm. of the the volume so it wasn't palatable then because the growth wasn't expected and you can't over-engineer everything just in case because the cost becomes unpalatable so there's this real risk of over-engineering or over um, safeguarding and complexity isn't there because Actually, all of a sudden, if we had five lanes of the M6 in the 1960s, they'd have to maintain five lanes and manage the road surfaces and all that kind of extra upkeep that goes around it. So the complexity would have been a lot bigger for the chance Mm. that there'd be more traffic on the road, which may have never come to fruition. Yes. And of course, in that example of the motorway, 
there'd be all the public outcry of we don't need that many lanes you know there's never going to be any cars whereas actually you know fast forward and it, it does happen and i could definitely see that happening in a store you know if you'd put in a, a huge click and collect stock room with racks and racks and racks of, of storage space for you know a b c etc everyone would have said this is a complete waste of space you know this is profitable selling space that we should be using for putting more shelving more mods more racks more rails whatever out get product out on sale you know it's not going to sell in a storeroom right it's it's interesting i think always going to be a debate around you know whether it's click and collect motorways or, or anything else it's going to be a debate about how much spare capacity do you build in to the operation and the operating model just in case or what if you know it's it's a, it's an interesting challenge where have you seen that argument being being taken in a, a sensible direction i think that lots of retailers and again they're circling back around it now are looking at the future of their store portfolio lots of people working on store of the future mm. or layout of the future design of the future however you want to kind of badge it up and i think that's where the real learning happens if you're prepared to push the boundaries and I, I know we've talked before about kind of failing failing quickly and learning fast and that more agile way of working which seems to be prevalent in you know IT and tech development and now in projects within retail hospitality and, and customer facing environments mm-hmm. so for me yeah there's a sweet spot but finding that sweet spot is really difficult because you could argue if we take the supermarket example, deliver home delivery of um, of your shopping has taken off clearly, again, probably magnified by the whole pandemic. But in a future world, would you now be building dark stores? So we've, we've talked about and heard about those before, mm. but from a, a cost point of view, an efficiency of pick point of view, a disruption to a non-disruption to customer point of view, are, will they going to go back that way or, or not? Because they're a lot pulled away. Or actually, do you turn your live customer supermarket into a dark store overnight? So actually, I think some of it is around your perception and the angle you come from, because the capacity might already be there in the environment you've got. It's just a different way of thinking about it. Hmm. Certainly the point you made before around people giving over space in, in retail, there's lots of overspacing. Hmm. So now's the, now's the time to maybe turn that space into more click and collect storage space, retrieval space to rethink that whole process. How do you make it slick for the customer to come in and collect or drop off? But also how do you make it slick for the colleagues to find the parcel, the whole retrieval system, and then the backhaul or the drop off from whoever's delivering it to the store. Mm. So that I think people are thinking about those journeys. I think the space in certainly the larger units on retail parks is probably already there. There's some re-engineering to do. But actually, if you're coming at it from a different angle, those stores stand there. I think, you know, 50% of the time in most retail park environments, those stores will be closed, lights off. Is that the opportunity to turn them on and do something differently? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, that's an opportunity I see. But it's interesting. It's, you know, it's making me think, to be honest, about the current surge in Q-commerce or quick commerce. And I'm thinking about the likes of some of these super fast grocery deliveries you know 10 minute deliveries it's it's crazy what they have done they've done it by simplifying the business right they have said how can we do this in 10 minutes well we're going to need a reduced range 
which for the likes of a, a Tesco or Sainsbury's, historically to have said, we're going to offer a very small range for an online online delivery service would have been laughed out of the laughed out of the shop, right? Yep. Because that would have been one of the non-negotiables. No, the ranges, you know, are thousands of SKUs, and we're not gonna we're not gonna limit it to, you know, a few hundred only. Out of the question, no. But actually, as disruptive elements, startups, for example, come in and they test some of those assumptions, perhaps that have never been tested before, suddenly you start to open up new opportunities frankly that whole i mean i've in fairness i've never had the direct need to order something that i need in 10 minutes um so <laughs> I, I, I assume there's a market for it. it's not 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 necessarily the market for me although i can see maybe a tradesperson sat outside of travis perkins or a wicks ordering on their phone screw fix just wanting to walk in and collect it so i can see there's an element of can i jump the queue potentially or actually can i get somebody to do the the picking work for me and I just walk in and get the, the trolley. Mm. So yeah, I agree. And and certainly the that whole delivery just eat piece where it's driven it from a the hospitality sector in lockdown's been driven through that, but then it's merged across, you know, Holland and Barrett are doing it where you can get your vitamins done. It it's blended into more mainstream retail, really pushes the boundaries. But it's still it's still limited by when the the stores are open, isn't it? So I can only get my delivery of vitamins within the trading hours because otherwise there's no access to pick the stock and then somebody collect it. So it's still constrained. It is. And it's, I, I guess it's a, an interesting operating model discussion that needs to be had for any given change or new proposition that says, what are the boundaries here? What's negotiable? What's not negotiable? Where are we going to draw the line? Which assumptions are we going to test or not test? And how are we going to test it, by the way, as well? And ultimately, I, I think for me, as I look back over the pandemic, one of the key lessons has been that we've got to take some chances because when you try something out, you learn huge amounts, right? You know, there have been plenty of stories of, you know, mulling over different project ideas for, for years, and then actually it's been done in days. The world hasn't crumbled. The world hasn't exploded or whatever bad... Uh, omen was uh, mo- was mooted around the the board table, so to speak, and I think there's there's that huge opportunity to to get on to do something and to learn, and then you you'll find out about all of these different assumptions and decisions and what ifs and and what what you should do, and that that can then of course from a store of the future or whatever form actually here's the new operating model that we're going to deploy nationwide or to a certain certain section of the estate. And and we talked about future proofing. So, you know, if the guys who built the M6 had known what traffic could be like in 2020, they'd have built more lanes. If (laughs) most retailers had known what click and collect parcels would be coming in and going out, they'd have probably spent more time, effort and money with racking storage, maybe reconfiguring checkouts. So that's fine. And, you know, post-rationalization is a great thing. And we can all say we told you so. But nobody can really, really predict the future you know the last 12 months has, has really told us that hasn't it mm. dichotomy then as a a retailer that i've got i've got lots of shops i probably know that shopping habits have, have changed in terms of physical people coming into my stores and and browsing and buying mm-hmm. so i've probably got some options haven't i i can turn the model and incentivize people to come in so actually offers 
tokens, discounts, but for a physical purchase in the store. I can maybe accept the fact that that's just the way the world and my e-commerce um, business is going to grow. So I can sell more things because they're online. Um, I can hold the stock maybe centrally or push it down to be fulfilled from store. What challenges does that have then to my layout, the space I give over to all those collection points or retrieval points or refund points? Mm-hmm. Or do something completely different that tries to disrupt the market, which is probably a really, really risky strategy for your whole estate, maybe not for one or two stores. So how how do you how do you think about future proofing? What kind of things do you take into consideration or do you think people should when they're they're faced with that landscape of we probably know the direction it's going to go but that might not be the direction that they want it to go for me it's about a couple of things firstly about doing some scenario planning so actually what are the potential futures we don't know exactly what's going to happen perhaps we we have a a feeling that the future might evolve like this paint that picture envisage what it looks like for you know one two five maybe even ten years right it might equally not happen. And that that future could diverge at any point, starting from tomorrow through to through to 10 years time, right? What are those alternatives and how could they come true? And actually, uh, I, I did a, a conversation with, with Dr. Jackie Mulligan where we were talking about scenario planning. And one of the key points that, that Jackie made was actually we've got to get into the uncomfortable scenarios because there's a huge likelihood of uncomfortable things and by that Simon I mean we don't want to think about what if we were to have another pandemic or what if we were to go to go to different extremes there's a huge number of different extremes we could go to that may or may not be relevant for any given project change proposition etc but you've got to explore those uncomfortable scenarios and really genuinely explore them and say well this could happen what would you do then so the, the first part is scenario planning. And then the second part, for each of those scenarios, how do you identify and assess the risks involved? You know, what could go wrong? Equally, what could go right? What could you do that could actually multiply that particular opportunity even further? And I think those two combined will give you the opportunity to play around in the future, but then say, what should we do about it? And build that then into the operating model that allows more robustness, allows more flexibility, perhaps. And ultimately, we'll, we'll come up with a, a, a better solution overall for whatever the future holds. And we don't entirely know what that is to the, <laughs> to the point. Yeah. And I, I wrote down, actually, as, as you were talking, then I wrote down four words, agile, pivoting, flexibility, and then trial. So I think you've, you've covered flexibility really well. Pivoting is one of those terms or words that was used a lot during lockdown. So people's businesses pivoting direction. Uh, So they've proved that they can do it without the bureaucracy in a world where it's critical to keep yeah. you know the doors open, the lights on even, or or money coming through the, the, the physical till or the virtual till. Agile, we've, we've touched on, and that comes back a bit to pivoting. So doing things quickly being prepared to fail, being brave, but again, not within the business, looking for um, 
scapegoats to why it's failed, but understanding from a process point of view, a customer point of view, a colleague point of view, why that didn't quite work. It's not about whose fault was this. It's a good thing you've learned quickly. It didn't work or pan out how you expected it to. And these are the these are the learnings from it. These are the things we're going to do differently. Mm. And and trial was based around. And again, I think th- there's quite a few of the bigger retailers doing this now, taking one or two stores, not in your you know your prime locations, but maybe in, uh, in in somewhere slightly out of the way, and those being the ones that you can play with. Mm. So having good teams that are that understand some of the stuff you might throw over them is going to be tricky. It's going to be painful, but they're the they're the ambassadors for working through the processes that you throw at them, or the new ways of working, or the new bits of tech mm. that say. Yeah, I get this. It would be really good at peak because it means we can expand our checkout capacity by uh, 100% because we've got all these new mobile tilt trolleys. But actually, it's really difficult off peak because where do we put them? How do we keep them charged? How do we get software updates? It's all that stuff that you can, again, I think, learn very quickly from really good teams and and from customers in those stores Mm. without inflicting that pain on the rest of the estate. So we both work in projects, don't we, Ollie? But, you know, there'll always be maybe a pilot, a trial store for that individual project. Mm. But I'm talking more about those are the stores you use as test beds for the compound effect of lots of things or some really wacky ideas of, I don't know, we'll take all the tills out in this store and we'll make it all self-service. Yep. Go figure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a huge, huge opportunity there, you know, to, to the point we were talking about in terms of, yeah, learn and see what happens, right? Can, can I add a word to your list? A great great list, by the way, Simon. Yeah, yeah. Let's just refresh that list. So you had agile, flexibility, pivot, and trial. Yep. Can I add yep. momentum onto that list, which was something, of course, we spoke about with Steve Leach in the last episode. Yep. I think it's a really important piece because actually when you've got that momentum, that change momentum, I mean, then suddenly everything comes a lot more forgiving, <laughs> which to all of those points that you've just raised, it just helps grease the wheels, right? Everything gets smoother and there's a lot more energy and support both from your colleagues as well as the customers and even the market as a whole. Energy to support what you are doing and, and the, the, the mission that you continue to be on. So I'd add, add that list into the uh, words as well. Yeah, and, and, and momentum's it's a really good one, isn't it? Don't don't get clogged down in the in the small stuff. Mm. Um, keep focus on the big stuff. And I'm sure in your corporate days, like me, you you've been involved in those big organisations in projects where you've you kind of know deep down it it's probably the right type of thing to be doing. But the way it's being done, or the software that's being used, or the setup of the project just kind of isn't going to work. And depending on the culture of those businesses, you put your head above the parapet and say, guys, girls, this is this is some stuff that's really concerning me and this is the reason why, and you get shot at, or actually people say, I get that, how can we do it differently? And it, it's, for me, shortcutting some of that with the momentum of, yeah, we get it, move on, or let's change the direction without getting bogged down in the, well, who signed it off? Who bought in this supplier? Because <laughs> that's the stuff that detracts, right? Because that negative energy isn't going to get you anywhere. Nobody nobody I've ever worked with has selected a supplier or started a project or had an idea that they knew wasn't going to work or was it was a negative <laughs> selection. We don't, it's not human nature, is it? Why would we set ourselves up to fail? It's such a good point. It's such a good point. I would absolutely stress that, you know, everyone at whatever time, whatever 
ridiculous mistake has been made in the past, that wasn't meant to be a mistake, right? That was a good intentioned decision that was made based on the data that was around at the time. And sure, of course, we can get better at decision making. Of course, we can get better at, you know, perhaps consulting more people around the business or taking into consideration more insight from the wider market. But it was done at that moment in time for the right reasons. And the right people will have been involved as well, by the way, <laughs> at that time. So, yeah, we we, we love to, to use hindsight to perhaps throw rocks. But I think I think we need to move past that and, and look forward, right? Look positively. It's more about what we can do rather than what has happened already. Yeah, absolutely. And it, a, a story on a similar theme, but different subjects. So the, the kids football team that I coach and I've coached them since they were under eights and would about to go into our season at under 16s wow it, it, it's interesting because when you see the kids grow and you form a, a really good bond with them and they're a great bunch of boys mm. but from a taking yourself out of business and then kind of relating it to sport it's really interesting because you know the the midfielder or the striker all all miss a, a shot and it won't be a goal but they didn't intentionally mean to do that and if you can start to kind of educate the the boys into that way of well he's not took that shot to deliberately miss but then if you then think of the goalkeeper, if they don't save it, the ball's in the back of the net and it's a goal. So the consequences of the unintentional mistake are very different. Striker has a shot, doesn't score, or you carry on playing and have another shot. Goalkeeper tries to make the save and doesn't, and all of a sudden you're 1-0 down, 2-0 down. So neither of them meant to make the mistake. They've both gone on the field with the best intentions to do the best they can, but the results are very different. One's an, oh, well, you might score the next one. The other one's a, goalkeeper with his head looking at the floor who's just just letting a mm. maybe something he should have saved so you then take that back to business world and intentionally we don't end up wanting to concede a goal we all want to score a goal but sometimes it happens for me that's when the education the culture piece of how the team support so actually is it is it really going to help that goalkeeper his teammates shouting him he should have done better mm. or shouting at that mid, midfield striker that he should have scored Probably not. If they're saying, don't worry, you'll get the next one or you'll save the next shot, that's the bit where you start to focus on the positives and you get that collective power rather than the, oh, you just let a silly goal in or yeah. you should have finished that one. And you could take that back into the business world and relate to it. It's exactly the same. Yeah. And of course, you know, sticking in the world of, of sport and transitioning into business in a second, you know, the, the, the top quality strikers will know that you have to you have to keep trying right you will have those off days i think there's a is it a michael jordan quote of saying how many how many match winning shots he's missed but if he didn't take the shots he wouldn't have won the match winning shots yeah. that he did win yeah. i think how many times in sport or in business have we seen the critics shout down a mistake that have then meant someone has not taken the shot next time round because They've been too nervous of, of missing it once again. I think that, that can be crippling for, for an individual, a team or a company, right? If we've got the wrong culture in place, it is shouting down mistakes because everyone is going to be scared to potentially take a risk and take you know, a, a leap of faith that might get them in trouble. <laughs> yeah, and I, th I think if we bring it back round to the start of the conversation, that whole how do you future-proof 
what's maybe simple today isn't simple tomorrow because of growth or changes in buying habits or changes in business. Working in the future, and again, like you, lots of people working in innovation teams now or stores of the future, as we've talked about, that's all risk because you're trying to predict what's going to happen. If we were all good at predicting what happened, we'd be predicting lottery numbers, not how people are going to shop in the future, because <laughs> it's probably far more lucrative. Um, so, so they're working in a world of risk, which in some companies is probably a great place to be, in others probably a bit more nervous and a bit more tenuous place to be. But I think we should just remember that that whole trying to think about the future is predicting the unknown. Some stuff will be right, some stuff will be wrong, some some stuff will be somewhere in the middle. But it's a at times a really uneasy place to be because you're probably going to get more stuff wrong than you are right. Mm. And and that then leads to say, actually, let's put a continuous improvement program in place, which of course is something that we spoke about in in, the, in our first conversation a couple of episodes yep. back now, which actually is a huge opportunity for, for, for many companies. And as we take on this sort of pro-trial, highly flexible, very agile mindset of change and of sort of business development we have to think how do we continue to evolve this how do we continually improve this how do we challenge ourselves and and almost uh you know we say we're willing to change what we've done the good work that has been done we're willing to change that because actually now we know more or the world has changed and it doesn't fit anymore right we have to have that openness that honesty to to go in and have that uh, have that challenge yeah and i think again we talked about it in in episode one there's a that continuous improvement piece is uh, evolution which i'm a, a big fan of mm-hmm. um revolution also known as transformation mm. for me 9.9 times out of 10 becomes evolution because transformational change in a customer facing environment retail hospitality is so so difficult to do true transformational change not some tweaks around the edge but doing something transformationally different tomorrow than you did today there's not many people that land that type of change um Mm. it just becomes evolutionary change definitely definitely so let's let's pause there because i think that's a really good conversation but also a good point to pause before we introduce Lisa Widdison in episode four from Holland and Barrett, who's going to take us through some of their continuous improvement changes. And they've, they've got, I won't, I won't give it all away, but we both know they've got a really interesting way of how they develop tech and implement new tech. So hopefully Lisa will take us through that journey and some other interesting insights. Definitely. Well, I can't wait. I'm loving our conversations here, Simon. Uh, You always bring lots of different perspectives and yeah, right on the money so to speak so uh wonderful catching up and looking forward to the next episode excellent speaking episode four bye simon i've missed more than nine thousand shots in my career i've lost almost 300 games 26 times i've been trusted to take the game winning shot and missed i failed over and over and over again in my life and that is why i succeed Michael Jordan. And that's the quote I could not remember at all in the middle of that conversation with Simon there. 
But it is a great mindset as you think about simplification, as you think about change in particular. If you don't try anything, you're not going to change anything at the end of the day. Now, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation there with Simon Heddo. And I wanted to share a couple of additional episodes for you to check out. Firstly, I made reference to a conversation with Dr. Jackie Mulligan about scenario planning. And that was actually a a conversation from Retail Transformation Live last year. And it was so good, I actually aired it on the podcast. So go and check out episode 113, number 113, and listen to that conversation. And once you're done with that, then I'd also suggest that you check out episode 118, which was the Agile Stores Manifesto episode with Julian Mills of Corso. Now, this was a great episode and actually goes into some of those points that Simon and I were talking about, particularly, obviously, with regard to Agile and flexibility. And really, in a tangible way, what Agile means for stores in the modern day world. So do go and check those couple of episodes out. Plus, if you've not already registered for Retail Transformation Live, then what are you waiting for? It's not too long to go now. It's happening on the 6th, the 7th and the 8th of July. And we're going to be diving into all things retail transformation. So do join us. It's absolutely free to attend. And you can register for your spot at retailtransformation.live. And I really look forward to seeing you and perhaps meeting you there as well. We're going to be doing some live networking, as always, at Retail Transformation Live. So I do look forward to meeting you there. Thank you for tuning in once again. If you do want to catch those episodes, then I'll put them on the show notes page today at obandco.uk slash 139. Stay well, and I'll catch up with you in another episode of the Retail Transformation Show podcast very, very soon. Bye for now. 